Okay, CRISPR technology is involved in a transatlantic race to the patent office, and it appears they may lose that race. We're here today with Patrick Von Hinnigan, who is a Dutch patent attorney, and of course, Tom Colson, to discuss this exciting case. This is Stuff You Should Know About IP. All right, okay, so, so sorry about no, that. Tom, right? Patrick, please kick this off because this is where we start to go way over my head with uh, okay, IP. So. Yeah. And, and there's probably, let me just frame it first because this is arguably some really boring stuff, okay? And we don't want to bore people on this podcast, but it's, it's interesting to a few people that understand the subtleties of IP law. Patrick's one of those, but it's really important. And let me just kind of frame it. And that is all over the world, there is this thing going on called a race to the patent office. In the US, there used to be a rule that was, it doesn't matter who gets to the patent office first, it matters who invents something first to determine who will get patent protection, who will get ownership of these patent rights. But in like 2013, I think-ish, around the American Invents Act, we switched from a first to invent rule to a first to file rule, which conforms to the rest of the world. So now it's truly a race to the patent office. If you get there first with somebody who invented maybe before you, you still get the patent rights. So dates are everything in patent law. The earlier you can get your patent application filed, the better your chances of having patent rights. Now, there is this thing in the U.S. that was created a long time ago, a couple decades ago, called a provisional patent application. Now, again, this is some boring stuff, but let me just give you some quick background. A provisional patent application isn't a real patent application. It's kind of a quasi-patent application. It's more of a placeholder. Essentially, you can file something that's not quite a patent application in the U.S., and you get 12 months to convert it to a real non-provisional patent application. And if you can do that within 12 months, you can get the date all the way back to your initial provisional patent application as your filing date. And again, dates are everything because it's a race to the patent office. And here's the risk though. You file a provisional patent application and then you start publishing your invention to try to sell it. You make offers for sale or you want to be famous. So you publish a paper about it and then you can't convert it to a real patent application. The problem then is you lose your priority date and you've already published. And once you've published, you can't get a patent application or you can't get a patent. So it's really important to file just the right provisional application that you'll be able to convert to a real patent application, a non-provisional application within a year so that you can relate all the way back to that initial date, essentially keep your date. Now, when you're talking about crossing the Atlantic and having a European patent application that's going to relate back to your original US provisional application, we're getting complicated, but it's important. Why? Because if I want to get a, um, a Dutch patent and I want the earliest possible date, I'm going to want to have that date go all the way back to my initial filing of my U.S. provisional patent application. And if I do it right, I can do that. 
So instead of having a date of January 1st, 2020, and by the way, we're way past that, but let's say a January 1st, 2020, I could go all the way back to January 1st, maybe 2019. And the reason that's so important is because there might be publications by me or by others about my invention after the January 1st, 2019 date that I need to get behind in order to get patent protection. So you've gotta be very careful to file all the right rules when it goes from using that provisional application for your priority date. Now, Ray, is that sort of clear what I'm saying? Ray, you're muted. Yeah, you were muted, Ray, but we, yeah, you're muted. Yes, but so I would probably have to hear it several times over before I like fully right. understood okay. it. And but fundamentally, the key thing is getting your earliest possible filing date using a provisional patent application to get your place held in line so that anything that's published after that just doesn't impact you. Then being able to convert that provisional into a U.S. patent or a Dutch patent and use the original filing date. So Patrick, did I explain that well? I have nothing to add. To me, it, uh, it's perfect. Okay, so tell us, Patrick, there's this CRISPR technology, and it really doesn't matter what the technology is because that's not really the point of this podcast, but there's this U.S. CRISPR technology, and they tried to get a Dutch patent, and what happened? Well, actually, they tried to get a European patent, but it doesn't really matter for the story. Yeah. Okay. So, so you have to file as soon as possible, right? Because you don't know there is a race between two universities or two research groups, and they are working on the same thing. Now, in times of COVID, everybody is working on the same vaccine. So, as soon as yeah. you as soon as you find something, you want to get a date because you have to get the date at the patent office first, and only then you can publish. Only then you can sell it. Um, so. Yeah, it really is a race to the to the patent office. And what happened in the CRISPR case is that they found something, and then a few weeks later they found something, and then a few weeks later again they found something, and then a few weeks later again they found something. So they filed 12 provisional patent applications in the US. 12. I had Wait, never so every time myself. they found so every time they found something, they quickly file a provisional. Yes. So have you ever seen 12 filed on the same thing before? I have never seen 12. I have seen two or three, but 12 really was new for me. So what happened then? So what happened is, well, it's very well possible to claim priority of set of multiple provisional patent applications or non-provisional patent applications. It doesn't matter as long as it's within the 12 months. Um, so you have the first provisional patent application and within 12 months, you have to file the final patent application. And in this case, it was a PCT application, but it can be a US non-provisional patent application. It can be a European patent application. Doesn't matter. And then- so the, so the provisional in the US can be used as your date for a, for a European patent application. Yes. Mm. Yes. Okay, so it can relate back, even though it wasn't filed provisionally in Europe, which I don't even think you have provisionals in Europe, but you can use it in the US. Okay, but they yes. filed one every every couple weeks or so. So do you 
do you relate back to all of them or the earliest? How does that work? Essentially, you relate back to all of them. And for, the, for what you filed at the first date, you get the date of the first date. And then if you added something a few weeks later, you do not get the first date, but you get the second date because, because only that's the moment you first wrote it down. And if you then add something a few months later, if that's the first moment you wrote it down, you get that date. Okay, so fundamentally, with a provisional, the only way you can relate back to that date is if you don't add any new information or new innovation into your final patent application. So for example, if I file a, a provisional patent application on January 1st, 2019, and then I file my non-provisional within a year, so let's say December 1st, 2020, I can get that date as long as I haven't added any new information in my final patent application. Let me give a really stupid example, okay? I invent a chair and my provisional describes a chair with a back, a seat, four legs and two armrests. And then during that year, I file my non-provisional application and I include a footrest or I include a headrest. I cannot get the date of the original provisional with respect to the headrest and the footrest component of that new patent application, correct? You're absolutely right. Okay, so if in, if in the first provisional I file a chair with the back of seat, four legs and two armrests, two weeks later I file another provisional application with a headrest, Two weeks later, I filed another patent provisional with a footrest. I now have three provisionals. Then within a year, let's say six months later, so it's we're not even close to the deadline. With six months later, I file a patent application wherever for a, a chair with a seat, a back, two armrests, a headrest, and footrest. Which provisional date would I get? The last one. The last one. Okay. That's, so that's the first time you wrote down all three components. Okay. Brilliant. Perfect. So in this case, it's way more complicated than a chair, of course, right? I mean, it's CRISPR technology that, by the way, totally over my head. But and mine as probably well. not Patrick said. Patrick totally gets it. But they did 12 patent applications. So they did the headrest, the footrest the laser beams that shoot out of the armrests, the video monitor. They did everything that kept adding as they discover new stuff around CRISPR, right? So when they finally tried to file in Europe, they were probably picking the date of the last of the 12 provisionals to get back to, right? No, they wanted the first date. Oh, oh, the original date, even though they added new stuff. Yeah, and then you have like then you have for different kinds of subject matter you have different dates. Oh, okay. So, so the so subject matter just application, you could have multiple dates depending upon what you've claimed. So yes. claim one to the basic chair with the back and the armrest and the legs, that's one date. The date with the headrest is a, even though it's claimed in the same patent application, it gets a separate date. Yes. So one patent application can have multiple priority dates. Yes. That's complicated, Patrick. It is.
It is. It takes a few years to understand. Right? Yeah, Sorry, especially what? if you want to, if you, especially if you want to litigate it downstream. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So what happened? What happened in this case? So what happened is that there there is this regulation in the U.S. and there is this regulation in Europe, and they are not the same. I think every better professional acting on a global scale knows that the rules are not the same everywhere. And in the US, you have these provisional patent applications and they were filed by several people to make it even more complicated. So, oh, so there's different inventors all along the way. So, yes. so Ray invents the chair with the back, the seat, that feet, the legs and the armrest, but then Patrick comes up with the headrest three weeks later, and then I come up with the footrest. There's all three different inventors in each in each provisional. Yeah, yeah. That happened here. That happened here, and, and that was where the, that's where the problem was, because in according to the European rules and articles of the European patent law, if you want to validly claim priority, the subject matter has to be disclosed in the priority application so the u.s provisional patent application and there is this this bunch of formality rules so to say and one of these formality rules is that you should claim priority within 12 months we all know that yeah. and one of the other um, more formality regulations is that it should be filed by the same person by any person and this is sort of understandable because Tom, uh, if you and I invent today an improved chair uh, and we file a US provisional patent application for it, we get into a fight in six months time. And like one year from now, I want to go on with the patent application without telling you, and I want to have all the revenue of it. I file it in my own name and I do not file it in your name. Yes, yes. So you want to essentially steal my rights. Yes. Right. And that's that's not allowed. So the, the people filing the uh, patent application in Europe, they must be the same as the people filing the patent application in the US. But in and in this case, there were like four or five different inventors who were also named as an applicant because according to the old American rules, this was the convention. Um, and then when they went to Europe, they said, well, one of them, he invented like the headrest, but he did not invent the chair. And we want only protection for the chair. So we are not going to name him as an inventor and also not as an applicant. But because on the original US provisional patent application, he was mentioned as an applicant, not only as an inventor, but also as an applicant, he had to be on there for the European rules. Right, right. So, so there's so the, the, and eventually there was a fight, right? I mean, there was a big fight and I think I just skimmed it. And I think the, they, the, the, uh, the, the people that wanted the patent application with, for this CRISPR technology, they appealed the decision because they were not given they, they didn't get priority in the lower court. And because there was already publications. Oh, go ahead. No, it's, it's a bit more complicated <laughs> again. Okay, okay, let's hear it, Patrick. <laughs> so initially, the patent was granted. 
Ah, okay. Uh, then it was a post. Because, because the European Patent Office, they don't really check whether the priority is valid. Gotcha. Okay. And then okay. other people wanted to use the technology without having to pay for a license fee. And then they filed an opposition against the, pet, the, the granted patent. Yeah, because what's happening then is there's a patent and it's a really good technology and a lot of people want to use it. So they hire expensive lawyers to figure out if there's a way to invalidate that patent, right? Yes. They, they hire guys like you, Patrick, or guys like me to go out there and figure out if there's any technical defects that might invalidate the patent because a granted patent that's invalidated isn't a patent anymore, right? So if they can invalidate it, they can freely use the technology, right? Yes. They hired guys like us to go out there and invalidate that patent. Yes. And they won. And the and patent was essentially invalidated, right? Yes. But then it went up to the higher court, and that case just came down recently. You sent me the link, and I skimmed it. And the appellant's argument, the person who wanted to get the patent, wanted the priority date, they're basically saying, look, the property right is not your thing to determine. That's between us. We will fight about that in the U.S. The, we're talking about the patent itself. That is for you to determine. And you really, the property right, that's none of your business. We will worry about that. You worry about whether the patent itself should be granted. We'll worry about who owns it, right? Yes, that's what that was essentially the argument. And what did the upper court say? Well, the upper court essentially said you should have done that before you filed in Europe. You should have done it before and not afterwards. And there are these regulations, and they have been there since 1973 when the European Patent Convention was established. And everyone knows that. And even though it's a formality, it's also a formality that you have to pay an issue fee when the patent right. is issued. Right, if you have you, to do that. If you don't pay the issue fee, there will be no patent. Right. And if there is this formality that you cannot file a patent application, which is not yours to file because you are not uh, entitled to file it because yeah, not all the applicants are on there, even though it's a formality, um, yeah, we, we do not want a system in which anyone can file a patent application if the, the priority application is filed by several people, because then we don't know what's going on anymore. And, 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 and they, didn't, they didn't follow the rules, and the rules are well known to people who are experts in this field. And I think what they also said is, if you want, if you had granted title, if the person who was left off had assigned their rights, we'd be okay. Definitely, definitely. Right? Definitely. So essentially, you didn't follow the rules, which everybody's aware of, and you didn't follow them. So you're out of luck. And the reason when you describe this, Patrick, the reason Ray and Tom really wanted to include you is because lawyers need to know this. Right. I mean, yeah. especially today when everything's international. I mean, even the smallest companies out there, when they file, they've got to have an international strategy. And if you're dealing with provisionals, which, by the way, are dangerous anyway. Right. For a whole bunch of different reasons, provisional applications are dangerous because people file them too willy nilly 
and they don't think enough about what they need in them to get the non-provisional granted in the future. And now when you're talking about crossing the Pacific or crossing the Atlantic, you got to be careful that you're following the rules. And if you don't know the rules, call someone who does, right? You're 100% right. And, and yeah, you're 100% right. Yeah, and so I, I think you just talked about hiring expensive lawyers to get the patent invalidated. I, I think also if you want to have patent, you can also call an expensive lawyer, but he, yeah, he, needs to know exactly. rules. he needs to know what's going on, not only in the US, not only in Europe, but in, in every country. And uh, you and myself, we, we have experience working in all countries, so we know what the regulations are and we know how to follow them and we can help people um, not filing patents, which will be at the end invalidated. You are so right. In fact, I have been a patent lawyer long enough to have seen, sadly, I wish I was a lot younger, but I'm not, but I've been a patent lawyer long enough to have seen the transition between the small town patent lawyer that will handle any little invention and just get it in the US because I'm in the US, but that person is no longer relevant because it's no longer just about one country. You can't have a lawyer that's really an expert at Dutch patent law because all that a patent does is give you the right to exclude others from making, using, selling, and offering for sale in the country of the patent. So if you're a Dutch patent lawyer and your attitude is, oh, I'm great at Dutch patent law, I can... I can file and get you a Dutch patent every day, but you're only going to be able to prevent competitors in, in the Netherlands, right? Well, business very soon. Yeah, that's a very small market relative to the world, right? So these days, it I love the way you put that, Patrick. It's not just about hiring an expensive lawyer to invalidate. You need to hire the expensive lawyer from the moment you conceive your idea because that's when it starts. That's when the race to the patent office starts. And if you don't do the right stuff up front with your little tiny provisional patent application, you're gonna lose your rights all over the world. And then you're gonna start offering for sale. Then you're gonna start publishing thinking, oh, I'm good because I have this provisional that was filed by this farm town lawyer of mine. No, you gotta hire the good lawyer today, right when you have that initial idea. That's our message, right, Patrick? Yes, yes. Hire us now before you have to hire us later to fix your problem. Right? Let's end it at that. <laughs> yeah, let's end it at that. Let Ray take us away. You got to unmute first, though, Ray. I forgot. I was trying to prevent the echo. No, I was just joking that do we need to put a disclaimer on this? Uh, is this have we have we got into legal advertising now or <laughs> um, we are giving sound common sense yeah I, no i i think it's and, and I, I i appreciate patrick you coming on to discuss this case with us because um well i agree it's it's something that i never would have guessed i mean I, you know not even being a lawyer but other lawyers other other ip lawyers need to know about this um, and, and here's and, what I'm thinking, Ray. And, I'm thinking Patrick is going to be a useful partner to Executive IP because we could do some 
training videos on IP that are kind of like laws that people who do international patenting need to know. Right. And Patrick is a really great expert on that sort of thing. So we could have Patrick be a consultant or even go on camera. Once the world opens up again, we can have him in our studios in Buffalo. Yeah. And he can we do a whole series with Patrick as the star. So yeah. people who are probably sick of looking at me on camera can see a better looking guy give the same kind of information, right? And secondly, with the Colson Law Group, because we have a lot of clients in the Colson Law Group that do international filing, and it would be really useful to have a collaboration with Patrick, who is really an expert at certainly Dutch law, and certainly soon to be, he'll be an EU patent lawyer as well, right, Patrick? Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, yeah. So well, I would be, I would be very happy to help, and 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 I, I don't want patents to be invalidated based on formalities, not when they are, when a, when they are patents written by myself or by my office but if you look at it if I can win the case sure I want to but if you look at it as an outsider I don't want patents to be invalidated based on formalities and yeah. I want to spread the word what are the formalities in Europe and what should you think of if you are based in China in Korea in Japan in the US no matter where and you want to have patent protection in the end in Europe what should you think about um, after filing that first filing, uh, the, the U.S. provisional or the Chinese provisional or the, 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 the Dutch provisional, what should you think about to, to follow all the rules? And I would be very happy to consult with you and to help you and to go on camera to talk about things to think of when you consider entering Europe. And, and you know what's the great thing about the Patrick, Tom and Ray combo is, yeah, we don't want patents to be invalidated on technicalities. But if you're our client and you need us to do that to somebody else's patent, we know how to do it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, Ray. Are we done? Yeah. Patrick, thank you so much for, for, for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, for anyone out there, whether you're a patent lawyer or patent professional, IP professional or an innovator, uh, if you enjoyed learning some more stuff you should know about IP, and this is really some stuff you should know about IP, please like, comment, share your comments. That's what we want to know. We want to know what you really think of this. So share your thoughts in the comment box and don't forget to share and hit the subscribe button if you're on YouTube. Thanks for joining, everyone. The stuff you should know about IP. Bye.